0: And this is the first time I get to say good morning, so good morning. Um, we have our scripture passage in, uh, in your bulletins, and um, we are going to read this together. Um, this is part of the Christmas story, and just to uh, not let you, not have to have you struggle at one point, there is the, the governor of Syria, and how you pronounce his name um, is Quirinius. So it's kind of like, why? Except it's Quirinius, um, the governor of Syria, right? Because we don't want to get to that part and everybody goes, and why of Syria. <laughs> so here we go, we shall be prepared. So let's join together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to their own towns to be enrolled. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was betrothed and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. May God open our ears and eyes and our hearts to the fullness of this living and abundant word. Amen. So I was reading this passage the other day, and um, as I was, I got a flashback. Not that kind. I got a flashback about uh, our honeymoon, Laura's and my honeymoon back in 1988. (laughs) 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 Buckle up, the story is this. We, uh, we took our honeymoon in old Quebec City for a lot of reasons. Um, it was pretty cool. Uh, we hadn't ever been there. We actually hadn't ever been out of the country, either one of us at that point. Um, so it was an adventure and we also chose it because we could drive. And that was really appealing because we were poor. <laughs> and by poor, I mean technically bankrupt um, with the <laughs> student debt from seminary. Um, and uh, so we, we drove, and it was, it, was, it was so much fun. And after this beautiful drive, and we got there, and oh, we toured the beautiful city of, you know, a historic city, three wonderful days, and on the fourth day, we had a little bit of an awkward moment with each other because I knew what I was thinking, she knew what she was thinking, but you don't want to say anything like this necessarily on your honeymoon. And at one point, it kind of emerged from both of us where we felt like we had kind of seen and done everything there for the time, but we had one more day. So we said, do you want to get out of here? <laughs> Do you wanna leave a day early? And we both looked at each other, it's like, oh my God, yes, yeah, let's just take off. And it was also appealing because then we could save one more night in the honeymoon suite and get some of the money back. It was $220 a night, I remember, right? Oof. And uh, so we said, yeah, let's, let's do it. So we got a, little, got a little money back and our next step was to go and visit our friend um, who lived on, had a summer place in, on Matinicus Island off the coast of Maine. So, yes, part of our honeymoon was also visiting our friends. So uh, we said, let's go, and off we, off we went on this adventure. We checked out, and we drove, and we drove, and we got to Rockland, Maine, um, which is where the... Uh, the ferry was going to take off the next morning at 7 o'clock. We got there, got to Rockleton, Maine, and at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which was great because that would give us plenty of time. We could find a nice place to stay. We could, you know, and then go out for a nice dinner, a little romantic dinner, and have a little sleep and get up and off on the ferry the next morning. So we we're thinking, you know, let's, let's find a nice little maybe a quaint little seaside inn, something like that. So it was fun. We're driving around. We're looking for, you know, for just the right one. And we're going past one and going past the next one. It's like, no, you know, let's, you know, let's get something a little bit nicer. And we, we kept going. And finally, we found it. So we park. We go in to register. And the person at the front desk says, I'm sorry, No room. <laughs> We're full, and we said, okay, that's fine. There are plenty of places in, in Rockland, Maine. So we drove around to find another, and we parked, and it's like, this is, this is actually better than the first one. So we got out of the car, and we go up to the register, and we did it, and like, I'm sorry, no room. We're like, are you kidding? What are the chances? What are the chances? That's okay. So we go off to the to the third one, to the next one. Nope, <laughs> nothing. And we start thinking, you know, this is this is a little weird. I don't know. We 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 literally went to every place in Rockland, Maine, and there was nothing. So next we went to the next town over, Camden, Maine, and same story, a whole lot of nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Everybody was filled. We're like, this is so weird in Rockland, Orkin. So we went to the next town. Now, it was four in the afternoon when we arrived. Now it's eight or nine at night because we've been driving around, driving around. The romantic dinner at the restaurant turned into a bag of Cheetos from a gas station. LAUGHTER <laughs> and the, the quality that we were looking for just severely downgraded, you know? And we actually, we actually circled back to a place that had broken bottles outside of it, um, and we're like, I, you know, check it out. Nothing, no rooms, next town, next town. We're, we're seven hours into it now. Seven hours, just, just driving around. One place to the next, to the next, to the next. Remember, it's 1988. Um, no cell phones, no Google, no GPS, no, no hotel tonight, <laughs> and all of a sudden it hits us. At, at about 11 o'clock at night we're like, oh, oh, we're on the coast of Maine, we're on vacation land, it's the middle of August and it's a Saturday night, no reservations. We were young. We didn't know it was that popular. We had gone to Maine tons because Laura's family is from outside of Portland, but they always had an opening. We would just stay at the parents' house. So we kept driving, midnight, 1 a.m. Now it's 9 hours, 1.30 in the morning, 1.30 in the morning from a pay phone we found on the side of the highway. We call the Holiday Inn in Augusta, 45 minutes inland, and they say, we have one room left, one room. We'll hold it for an hour. So we drive into Augusta, we're dazed on the way. We say to each other, you know, we could have driven back home to Connecticut Slept literally slept in Connecticut, woken up the next morning, driven all the way back, and still have saved time. We got there at 2.30 in the morning. Ferry the next morning leaves at 7 a.m. It's an hour away. We get to bed about 3. We get up at 6. Same clothes as the night before. And we're off to the ferry. Drive like mad to get to the ferry. And we get there just in time just in time, just in time to see the fairy pulling out. (laughs) And it's a Sunday, and that's the only one for the day. (laughs) Uh, Memories. Uh, So when I read this Bethlehem scene, and I think about the chaos that was going on there, no room, I do think sometimes about our honeymoon, and I think about Bethlehem. Now, for Bethlehem, the thing that caused the chaos there was the overflow that was created because Caesar ordered a census to be taken for tax purposes. And the scriptures say that the whole world would be enrolled or registered, the whole world. The whole world uh, meant everyone from the region of Judea. It was also, it said, the first enrollment, so people didn't know what to expect. They never did that before. Now, interestingly, you know what the final count of that census was? Because there are records. The final count of that census 4,233,000 4,233,000 citizens, and I'm thinking, I, I, I looked this up like five different times from several sources. It's like, that seems to be way too many people, doesn't it? For back then? Yeah. I mean, it just, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous amount of people, but that's it. So I'm thinking what this means is that there's a tremendous amount of upheaval because of that, right? having every male return with his family to a place of birth. So, literally, it's, I mean, you know it's not every person who has to be on the move, but could have been a million people of that four million who were on the move. And all at once, they had to shut down businesses, they had to figure out provisions, they had to, to get the means to travel, they had to find shelter, both along the way and then also when they got there, And remembering, for as obvious as it sounds, is you can't call ahead for a reservation back then. Nobody could. So what this means is this was a crazy time that is happening. So much turmoil, chaos. And then I was thinking, so apparently, I guess this is the way that it's always been with Christmas, even at the very first one. Right from the start, right from the start, too much stuff going on, overload. You think life is supposed to be calmer, I do a lot, at least in better order, and then life gives you otherwise. Good news, it's not just you. Then I think about the innkeepers. Now, that would have been a crazy heyday time for innkeepers, right? It's like striking gold. You could, you could charge any price you want, supply and demand. Whatever traffic would bear. And you know, Airbnbs are as old as time. All you needed was space. All you needed was space. So. Even with that though, at a certain point, if everybody's in it, offering their their homes, some space in it, at a certain point, you get to the point after you pack everyone in that you possibly can, you're either raking in money or you're just providing hospitality. At a certain point, full is full, right? And all the uh, probably non-pregnant people, that it takes a while to travel. They're already there. So then, after full is full, you hear that. One more knock at the door. And at a certain point, you just have to say, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We just don't have any more space. And off they go. And then, and then again, you say, I apologize. I, I wish I could do something. I just, I'm, I'm full. There's nothing I can offer. And then again. And then, you know, it's just human nature at a certain point where it just kind of becomes a little less kind with each successive knock and request. And so maybe now it turns to, hey, could you, pl- could you just read the note on the door Just check it out, nothing I can do, okay? It's automatic, it's just what people do. And this is what happens with our life. When life gets to be too much, When our lives are too full, but life just keeps knocking at our door. Overload, We shut down, close the door, go on automatic pilot. Maybe we have just had one too many pieces of bad news around us, yanked around by the economy, yanked around with your health, one too many doctors visits. At at first, you know, your heart remains open to it. And then after a while, begins to shut down because there's no more room. Maybe there's too much sadness. Shut down. Sometimes maybe we feel too much need around us. We get overwhelmed. You know, and it's a reason why people in prison, why people who are in gangs, people who are in deep inner city poverty, act the way they do. Many times just regular people, the way we act sometimes when we get overwhelmed. Think about the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook is coming this Wednesday, on the 14th. Mm. Just hearing that, it's almost too much. And suddenly we find that we have become innkeepers and gatekeepers to life out there, to life trying to get in. So who do we let in? How much do we let in? How much much compassion? How much patience, how much forgiveness, how much openness to other human beings, how much much listening, spontaneity, intimacy, friendships, personal time. I don't have time for that. I need to stay in the path. Playtime with our children, time to listen to our children and really listen, time to listen with care and not trying to rush it along with our spouse. We may at times even shut down the door to our soul. When we think about it, when we shut out any of these things, we're shutting out the very best parts of life. The things that make life most worth living. I wish I could have done more of those things, but, you know, at the time I thought I didn't have any room. Too full. So in thinking about the first Christmas, thinking about the first Christmas, I bet most of us would say, let's do a little test. I would open the door to Christ. How many of you would have opened the door to to Joseph and Mary if they came knocking at the door? Right? Yeah. Of course. My God, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. But how would you know? How would you know? They don't have a sign hanging around their necks. They're just two ordinary people, Joseph and Mary, knocking at the door to your life. And those innkeepers were in the exact same position that we find ourselves in of how do you know and how do you decide who and what to open the door for. Now, they didn't know, so inadvertently they ended up shutting out Christ, one after the other. But the great news is for us that we have some clues, don't we? We know that he's our neighbor. We know that he's the stranger. We know that he is the outcast. We know that he is the refugee. He became a refugee, had to flee to Egypt. He's the one who doesn't fit in. That's the knock on the door. He's the one who's not popular. He's the one who's struggling. My spirit is among you, Christ said. My spirit is within you. God bless you. Mm -hmm. So within us, we don't even shut the door to our own soul. Or hope, forgiveness, a kind heart, sacred time, giving, generosity, things of God. So when I think about the innkeeper, I wonder what am I opening the door for? And what am I closing the door to? And am I even gonna be able to tell if God comes knocking in disguise? Last story, I, um, I'm thinking about this the other day and I think, okay, all right God, let's, let's try this out. Let's play a game. <laughs> And I said, God, I'm going to be the innkeeper today. And with everyone I meet, with every new knock that happens, I'm going to ask myself, is this you knocking? And not in an obvious way, but maybe it's you. And let's find out. So I I said a prayer. I said, God, let me have an adventure. You knock, and I'll open the door and let you in, and let's see where we go. And you know what happened? It was amazing. You know what happened? Nothing. Nothing really extraordinary happened, and I was surprised. And at the end of the day, I went back and I reviewed the day, and I wondered, what did I miss, right? So I went back, it's like, okay, so this morning I did some writing, I did some emails, I did some calls, I had a meeting, I had more calls. A came in to talk, family member asked for help and then it hit me, oh my God, every one of these very ordinary events was another knock on the door from you. It was you, every meeting, every phone call, every email, every annoying little problem that I was called on to fix was another opportunity to meet someone bearing Christ. I was seeking God in a sign in the extraordinary, but finding God in the ordinary, and I almost missed it. The song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, it says, no ear may hear his coming, but in the world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. now we do a little prayer with the kids during children's sermons let's close with a little prayer like that and you can either repeat after me out loud or just in your hearts okay. dear god may your spirit may your presence presence of Christ enter my heart. May I look for you in the ordinary and may I open the door and dear Christ may you enter in. Merry Christmas. Amen.